Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Guardian. Hello and welcome to the Books Podcast. I'm Claire Armistead. And I'm Sean Kane. This week, we're going to take a break from books as physical objects and look at what they mean when they're translated into other media, particularly audiobooks. They kept perfectly still. Slow footsteps came towards them, and they could hear the snuffling, grunting sounds of that creature and the clicking of her claws on the pavement. We'll be listening in to some of the ones we've loved this year, including Michael Sheen reading Philip Pullman's La Belle Sauvage and Brit Brennan reading Anna Byrne's Milkman. But I had not been having an affair with the milkman. I did not like the milkman and had been frightened and confused by his pursuing and attempting an affair with me. My Excuse is the upcoming TV adaptation of one of my favourite novels from the last decade, Andrea Levy's The Long Song, which is getting a three-part dramatisation by the BBC ten years after it was first published. Now, as anyone who's heard Andrea at book festivals will know, she's a brilliant reader of her own work. Indeed, the director of the TV adaptation, Mahalia Bello, said she was a bit starstruck when she met Andrea because she'd been listening to the audiobook and couldn't get her voice out of her head. <laughs> I haven't actually read the long song or listened to it. Um, so what's it about? So it's, it's um, about a, a, an old slave woman looking back over her life on a plantation. She's called July and her, uh, she's written a memoir which her son is, is, wants to publish, which causes all sorts of problems because she disagrees about what history is. He wants to have lots of sort of lovely bucolic scenes. She's having nothing of it. And she retells all sorts of bits of her own history. And the bit we're going to have now is one of the versions of her babyhood um, on the plantation. But what Kitty's neighbours did not observe was that sometimes, late into the still of night, Kitty could calm July by singing a song soft unto her. Mama gone rock, Mama gone hold, little girl child mine. Then July would turn her black eyes onto Kitty, her lips gently mimicking the movement of her mama's mouth as she sang. That beguiled child would then hug Kitty, her little arms squeezing about her neck while she fondly dribbled tender, wet kisses upon her mama. Kitty would bounce her precious girl child upon her knee, and July would chuckle with an unbounded mirth that chirped as bright as fledglings in a nest. At those times, there was no slapping, no cussing, no cursing, for July would gaze upon her mama with so deep an expression of love that Kitty 
felt it as heat. Mama gone rock, mama gone hold, little girl child mine. Sometimes, within this fond reverie, all was good. Until, that is, Kitty did venture to lay July back down upon her crib to sleep. For then that rascal child's mouth would suddenly gape wide as a hole made for Cain as she began her yelling once more. That is just such a familiar scene, I think, to anybody who's ever ever um, had dealt with a baby. But also, <laughs> I mean, what's brilliant about it is such a very particular voice. Such mm. a, uh, she's, oh, she does it so beautifully. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing that if you um, if you were to read that on the page, you probably there's a tendency, I think, to sort of default to your own voice in your own mind when you're reading a book. But to have that, then it's a completely different experience. Yeah, and I mean, I just think it's one of the examples where a, a actually hearing. A reading can be completely revelatory, mm. and and the other more recent one is Anna Burns' The Milkman, mm. um, which I have to say I read before it won the Man Booker Prize, and I had trouble with it, and you did as well. Didn't yes, you? although I spoke to someone in the office who's from Northern Ireland, and she was saying that she loved it and loved it and loved it, and I when she when she walked away, I was thinking maybe she's getting something about the language that I'm just not getting. I think that's absolutely right. And yeah. it was when I heard it being read out at the dinner that I suddenly realised, actually, I really misjudged it. And oh, I've really? since listened to, I've got the, the audiobook, I've listened to some of it. And um, the music of it is something that doesn't, I don't read the music of it. And so hearing it in an audiobook completely changes the experience for oh, me. Right. And I noticed the same thing with um, Colm Toybean's novels when I heard Fiona Shaw reading Nora Webster, which was on the page was quite a drab novel. But mm. when you heard the music, and the character that comes out of the way he makes sentences, suddenly it comes to life. Yeah, I mean, th- actually, that's a really interesting thing about uh, particularly Irish writers and Northern Irish writers. Um, I was just thinking then when we were listening to the Andrea Levy of Sebastian Barry, um, when we had him on the podcast and he was reading from Days Without End and uh, he develops this, it's, it's a book sort of in Civil War America, but of course, Sebastian being a bit of a, a performer did this sort of growly soldier's voice as he read it and it just made it completely different to how I just have little Sean voice in my head and that now I've got Sebastian Barry growling at me in my head because <laughs> he completely and it's the rhythm of the sentences and how it delivers it the emphasis on different words that make you go oh god this is a completely different book to the one that I just read <laughs> yeah no, exactly so let's just to to demonstrate what we mean to people listening in, here is Brid Brennan reading from Milkman. It's the story of a young woman in the Irish Troubles who is being pursued by a mysterious paramilitary. The day somebody McSomebody put a gun to my breast and called me a cat and threatened to shoot me was the same day the milkman died. He had been shot by one of the state hit squads and I did not care about the shooting of this man. Others did care though. And some were those who, in the parlance, knew me to see but not to speak to. And I was being talked about because there was a rumour started by them, or more likely by first brother-in-law, that I had been having an affair with this milkman and that I was 18 and he was 41. I knew his age not because he got shot and it was given by the media, but because there had been talk before this for months before the shooting by these people of the rumour that 41 and 18 was disgusting. The 23 years difference was disgusting. That he was married and not to be fooled by me, for there were plenty of quiet, unnoticeable people who took a bit of watching. 
It had been my fault too, it seemed, this affair with the milkman. But I had not been having an affair with the milkman. I did not like the milkman and had been frightened and confused by his pursuing and attempting an affair with me. I did not like first brother-in-law either. In his compulsions, he made things up about other people's sex lives, about my sex life. When I was younger, when I was twelve, when he appeared on my eldest sister's rebound after her long-term boyfriend got dumped for cheating on her, this new man got her pregnant and they got married right away. He made lewd remarks about me, to me, from the first moment he met me, about my quaint, my tail, my country, my box, my jar, my contrariness, my monosyllable. And he used words, words sexual, I did not understand. He knew I didn't understand them, but that I knew enough to grasp they were sexual. That was what gave him pleasure. He was 35, 12 and 35. That was a 23 years difference too. Do you see what I mean, Sean? Yeah. As somebody who's a bit sceptical about it on the page. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the thing that I think that it, what we're talking about in terms of like a lyrical delivery, I know that people like to listen to all sorts of audiobooks, whether it's nonfiction or, you know, fiction or thrillers or whatever it is. But I think particularly for something that has that sort of verboseness in it, you know, that all the syllables sort of piling on top of each other in these really long sentences. Actually, an audiobook is quite helpful. Mm. Um, and this is actually, I was thinking that it's not necessarily a book that has to be framed as difficult, but sort of something that has a very unique approach to language. I was thinking um, another book nominated uh, is the uh, Everything Under by uh, Daisy Johnson. And um, I was listening to the audiobook of that after I'd read the book. And um, it's a really good production and actually the uh, delivery it's a voiceover actor called Charlie Sanderson she delivers the words because there's quite a there's an ongoing thing in the book about how language is used and how words that mean one thing can be used in another context and on the page it's all sort of quite you'd say eccentric but then when you actually hear it delivered by someone you kind of get the multiple meanings for a word that is actually complete nonsense so uh, actually we've got a clip but that you can hear um particularly use of words like harpy doodle for example you don't really know what a harpy doodle is and as this clip tells you there's a couple of interpreted meanings for what it means but you can sort of make it what you will occasionally we find these old words sneaking back and we are undone by them. It's as if nothing has ever changed, as if time doesn't mean a jot. We've gone back, and I'm 13 years old, and you are my awful, wonderful, terrifying mother. We live on a boat on the river, and we have words that no one else does. We have a whole language, all our own. You tell me that you can hear the water effing along. I answer that we are far from any river, but that I sometimes hear it too. You tell me you need me to leave. You need some sheesh time. I tell you that you are a harpy doodle, and you grow enraged or laugh so hard you cry. So that was um, Charlie Sanderson um, reading, um, and she's one of this... Gen- new generation of actors who more or less can make li- a living out of reading audiobooks. Yeah. What exactly is going on, Sean? Well, I mean, so audiobooks have kind of had a bit of a boom um, over the last five years. So, sort of while 
print and digital uh, book, the, the sales of those sort of tend to fluctuate up and down depending on what year you're in. But audiobooks have sort of had a steady increase over the last five years. The Publishers Association uh, actually released some figures earlier this year that showed um, spending on audiobooks has more than doubled over the last five years. So we've gone um, from 12 million a year to 31 million pounds a year. And it, it's interesting to sort of see new things like books that are just coming out as audiobooks as opposed to any other format um it particularly sort of people that are series writers that don't necessarily need to commit to a particular format because the readers are going to stay with them regardless of format so i've seen a couple of thriller writers that have released the latest installment in whatever series they're doing just as an audiobook so that raises the question of who is it who is this market who are these people who are suddenly tuning in to audiobooks are they are they people who used to read books or is, is it a different population. Well, there is this interesting idea, I think, that people sometimes feel like if they listen to an audiobook, they have not actually read the book, that they're sort of cheating and that it's an easy way because for some reason, I suppose, reading reading can be hard for some people. So people with dyslexia, for example, it can be really, really difficult. But actually, audiobooks are a really nice way around that. But I think there's also a sort of internalized snobbery that some people have that kind of feel like they've not committed fully if they haven't got the book in front of them. And I think that's just kind of rubbish. I don't think that that's entirely true that, that you shouldn't feel bad for listening to an audiobook i think that they're, they're really that they are something else but they're also partic- you know completely valid as well <laughs> there was a very interesting piece in the new york times um by a psychologist um called daniel t willingham who pointed out that because reading was less than six thousand years old it, it the difference hasn't been hardwired into our brain yet yeah i like that <laughs> he said um, it, it's insufficient time um for us to have actually developed a specialized process just for reading on the page. But does that mean that it's just the same thing, listening, and surely not? No, he's sort of saying that our our mental mechanisms that have developed to understand oral language are the same as how what we use to comprehend written language. So we don't have actually any sort of special way for doing either. They're both one and the same. But he does make an interesting point, and he, he brought up some research that said that um, they did some studies with people where they were given a podcast of a book um, about a 20 minute podcast uh, and then other people were given the written version of that information and then they were given a test a few days later and the people that uh, had the written version did much better on the test in terms of comprehension and, and recall than the people that listened to the uh, the audio version but I sort of feel like that's kind of built into it in that I think a lot of people listen to podcasts now and you know it's sort of the thing that is something you do when you're multitasking and we all have differing abilities in terms of how we multitask and whether we're able to actually commit entirely 100% to two different things at the same time. So I read, I read audiobooks mostly when I'm driving. And, yes, exactly. And so part, you know, you're always then sort of spotting a van coming up on your left and, <laughs> and, and it's like, oh, whoops, I missed the, I missed the, the climax there. A major character death. <laughs> and, and, that, and that leads on to another of his points, which is that part of what makes... Um, reading more memorable is that you have control of it so mm. so if you don't understand a word or a concept is hard you can just go back and read it again yes but whereas with an audiobook you're just you're you, you're passive yes you have to just listen I also feel though that sometimes with an audiobook if you're sort of if you're really you know you're not driving and swerving away from vans at the same time if you were listening to sometimes with non-fiction I find this particularly useful to have it sort of explained to me by someone else because I sometimes have that thing where and I'm sort of very bad at this I'm a very fast reader but it gets in the way of my comprehension sometimes so I will just kind of skim the page at a 
intense speed and then just not be able to actually figure out what I've read, particularly when it's hard. This is something that it builds into. If it's a science book, I really have to force myself to concentrate. So if I've got someone reading it out to me, there's almost like an inner politeness that I feel like I have to pay attention that I just don't have when I'm it's just me in the book um and so things like um there's actually a um audio version um that we've got a clip of from uh, the order of time by Carlo Rovelli um Richard is not here but he is a let's say Richard might be slightly in love with Carlo Rovelli. He's become the one, he's become an unpaid publicity <laughs> assistant to Carlo Rovelli. Well, I'm an unpaid publicity ex- uh, assistant to Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, who was kind of the strange pairing. It was a bit of a weird one when they announced it and I went, really? He's doing that? But um, he does a really good job of reading The Order of Time. And so I sort of have no you know, mental capacity to appreciate time and space continuum. But when it's Benedict Cumberbatch telling me about it, I'm kind of more inclined to to listen. (laughs) I stop and do nothing. Nothing happens. I'm thinking about nothing. I listen to the passing of time. This is time, familiar and intimate. We are taken by it. The rush of seconds hours, years, that hurls us towards life then drags us towards nothingness. We inhabit time, as fish live in water. Our being is being in time. Its solemn music nurtures us, opens the world to us, troubles us, frightens and lulls us. The universe unfolds into the future, dragged by time and exists according to the order of time. It's, quite, it's, it's almost like it's sort of like Carlo Rovelli does Beckett <laughs> does the Bible <laughs> I'd quite like to listen to Carlo Rovelli reading the Bible <laughs> he's got a charming Italian now, accent so this is one strand of audiobooks which is the celebrity reader mm. but it doesn't always work does it no so I would I mean one really amazing example um, of of how to do an audiobook and like you're committing to doing an audiobook when you get 166 people to do it. Um, but uh, Lincoln in the Bardo by John so- George Saunders, which when you see it on the page can be quite a strange book. It kind of looks like a screenplay. It's sort of broken up into very small chunks and you just have the character name above the sentence that they're either it's thinking or observing. Yeah, And so it's kind of a brilliant book because once you get used to it, you sort of realise that a lot of these different little quotes are contradicting each other and it's sort of a, a kind of exploration of uh, kind of like Andrea Levy uh, what is history and what is fact and just because it was recorded in a book 20 years later did it actually happen you know compared to the testimony of someone that was there um so it's a really really great book but because of how it's broken up you've got sort of textbooks that are referred to that are never referred to again for example a little paragraph is taken out or a letter written by someone that's never seen again but it's more about the content of the letter than the person so you've got this huge cast of voices and so audible went out and um did a sort of massive production of it and got a different actor for every voice in the book and really starry though so you've got um nick offerman who, if anyone watches Parks and Recreation, uh, Nick Offerman, uh, a.k.a. Ron Swanson, he's uh, one of the main narrators. Um, David Sedaris, uh, Julianne Moore, Susan Sarandon. George Saunders himself is actually one of the main characters as well. And uh, we've got a clip, actually, um, which stars Saunders, Nick Offerman and uh, David Sedaris together as the sort of main trio of ghosts that are hanging out in this uh, cemetery and uh, watching Lincoln's uh, son who has just 
come into the cemetery as a ghost. Uh, he's just passed away, but he's not entirely ready to move on because he misses his father. Kneeling before the box, the man looked down upon that which... He looked down upon the lad's prone form in the sick box. Yes. At which point he sobbed. He had been sobbing all along. He emitted a single heart-rending sob. Or, or gasp. I, I heard it as more of a gasp, a gasp of recognition. Of recollection. Of suddenly remembering what had been lost. And touched the face and hair fondly. As no doubt he had many times done when the boy was... Less sick. A gasp of recognition, as if to say, Here he is again, my child, just as he was. I have found him again, he who was so dear to me. Who was still so dear. Yes. The loss having been quite recent. So that is state-of-the-art audiobook, yeah. really, isn't it? Nobody's ever tried to do anything quite so ambitious as that before. Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of the thing, I don't think you could have done that book by sort of saying Hans Volman and then having the line from Hans Volman, or like even just one voice reading out all those different lines, because you need the, the interruptions, um, which you can read on the page, you know, the, the sentence won't be finished, or will move on to the next character, someone saying, oh, he, you know, he, he let out one sob. No, he was sobbing the whole time. No, I heard it more as a gasp. Like, you need that sort of interplay of different people, and so it it's kind kind of perfect I think for anyone that did struggle with that book on the page to listen to the audiobook version um, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before as a standout example of an audiobook but it's sort of truly one of those things that sort of takes something that is good and kind of makes it even better in its own way. So what about the celebrity um, readers who miss fire so for example <laughs> do we really want to hear Johnny Depp much as we love Johnny Depp do we, do we really, love Johnny Depp do we really want Johnny Depp to do Keith Richards no well okay this is the thing so this is quite an interesting example of an audiobook so if you don't know Keith Richards of Rolling Stones fame is quite good friends with Johnny Depp of pirates and other things fame and uh, they're kind of a weird pairing but then when you think about it the sort of rock and rolliness and the sort of Loosh. the grubbiness let's say they're quite well paired and so um, Johnny Depp was asked can you do Keith Richards audiobook for his memoir life and uh, he said yes and then he went to go do it and turns out he didn't really have enough time to do it so I think it's about 20 hours in total the book He's done four or five chapters from the book. Um, so it's quite strange because basically you get an, a, first, a first initial chapter by Keith Richards, read by him. Then you get sort of four or five chapters from Johnny Depp. And then there's a third guy uh, who gets brought in to do the rest. And the reason for this is that Johnny Depp had to go film a Pirates film and it was on some island that was sort of, you know, gave them vaguely piratey setting and there was no audio studio so he couldn't finish the book. He had to go and he had to go be a pirate and so they had to bring in a guy <laughs> to do the rest. And now we're going to we're going to play a clip of Johnny Depp's bit. I'm not a fan of Johnny Depp. I think this is fine in terms of the recording. Um, but I just sort of think it's kind of, why would you bother doing it at all if he's not going to finish the book? Or like The reason they bring Johnny <laughs> Depp in is just because they get the Johnny Depp fan club. Yeah, well, totally. But it's sort of, he does kind of fit the sort of, you know, a, like I'm a rock star and I don't really care. Like his voice, even though he's American, actually does kind of suit Keith Richards' you know, what he's telling us about all the sex, drug and rock and roll that he's telling us about. Johnny Depp actually does suit it. Um, but yeah, here's a clip from Johnny Depp reading it. Open season on the Stones had been declared since our last tour. 
the tour of 72, known as the STP. The State Department had noted riots, true. Civil disobedience, also true. Illicit sex, whatever that is, and violence across the United States. All the fault of us, mere minstrels. We had been inciting youth to rebellion. We were corrupting America. And they had ruled never to let us travel in the United States again. You have to be able to commit the time. And I've heard that it's really, really hard to actually record these things because you have to keep your voice constant. And, you know, people are listening to this podcast now and my voice has probably changed about 10 different times, just depending on my mood or how hungry I am or if I've just had some water. Um, but people have to do this for like 20 hours. And so well, often... Sometimes 80 hours. Well, yeah, they spend, you know, sometimes they'll... they'll you basically, I've heard roughly you spend five times as long recording the thing as the thing turns out to be. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I kind of get why they don't always work. But there are some extremely cool people who've read their own. For mm. example, Michelle Obama. Yeah, I really liked this. And that, actually, this is one of these things. I got sent a copy of the book because it's one of the biggest releases of the year. I got sent a copy of the book and then someone asked to borrow it in the office. And I was like, yeah, sure, have it. Because I was getting the audio book and I was way more excited about the audiobook because I just like her voice you know she's kind of reassuring um she kind of feels like she's trying to teach you something but not in a preachy way and so I was quite happy to actually consume it that way as opposed to the book because I just like hearing her talk it sounds really creepy you're a real fan girl (laughs) yeah I kind of want to be here as first lady I'd get to the end of a busy week and need to be reminded how it had started but time is beginning to feel different my girls who arrived at the white house with their poly pockets a blanket named Blanky, and a stuffed tiger named Tiger, are now teenagers, young women with plans and voices of their own. My husband is making his own adjustments to life after the White House, catching his own breath. And here I am, in this new place, with a lot I want to say. She has such a capacity for melancholy, doesn't she? It's such an empathetic voice. Yeah, and it's the sort of thing I think that, you know, we have seen a lot of her, but I don't think we've necessarily heard a lot from her over the last sort of decade that, you know, she was in the public eye. So I was really excited about this one. And, and yeah, it's a really good audiobook. And a couple of uh, other sort of honourable mentions for people to, that do really good readings of their own work. Uh, Johnny Ma of The Smiths. Who, I'm not a fan of The Smiths at all, but I was listening to the Penguin Books podcast and um, he was on there talking about his memoir, Set the Boy Free. And I just really liked how he came across and I really liked his accent. And... Uh, I I went and looked at the audiobook and it's it's just really well delivered um, and just really nice sort of northern accent. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed that. Um, there's also John Ronson, uh, who uh, has done so many sort of books that touch upon his own life and his involvement in things, a sort of Louis Theroux approach to, you know, journalism and uh, sort of getting into it. journalism. Yeah, that sort of thing, inserting yourself a little bit. And so he's particularly well suited to reading his own books, but he's got a brilliant voice. I've actually got no idea what his accent is, but it's brilliant. Um, and another shout out for someone who's uh, particularly good at reading their own. Um, now, everyone thinks audiobook, you think Stephen Fry reading Harry Potter, which I think is a thing that probably about half the country falls asleep to on any one night in the UK but um, him reading his own books particularly Heroes which is the latest uh, book after Mythos which was his book about Greek mythology Heroes is his take on uh, Greek heroes and 
it's one of those things that he kind of got ripped into a bit when Mythos came out and the same with Heroes that they're a bit light and it's sort of his way of interpreting myth and sort of delivering it in a sort of funny buzzy you know it's gone through the Stephen Fry filter and he's put in dialogue and all this sort of stuff that we just you know there's no necessarily a historical basis for any of it but it's just enjoyable and having him deliver it with all the sort of bluster of Stephen Fry is actually really really fun so I sort of feel like everyone just don't you know if, if you feel like the book's going to be a bit light but you're still interested in Greek mythology maybe head toward the audiobooks just because it's quite enjoyable and, and that brings us to um, the the what I think for me is the biggest use of, of audiobooks is the car journey the long mm. car journey particularly the family car journey yeah there are some a few naughty bits in Mythos I haven't read Heroes but <laughs> I don't know whether you'd have to be a bit careful um, I don't know you need to sort of like skip chapter 7 if there's <laughs> kids under 12 in the car but, but um, you know loads of people are going to be setting off on long car journeys mm. with a car full of children of different ages mm. and, and actually it's a brilliant way of keeping everybody happy yeah well and Stephen Fry are doing 80 hours of Sherlock Holmes for Audible <laughs> you could get to Australia yeah. in that time <laughs> and at the the, the master of all has to be Philip Pullman. And yeah. there's a lovely reading of La Belle Sauvage, which is his first, the first volume of The Book of Dust. Yes. Well, so this is kind of one of those funny things that uh, we, we did a lot around the release of this book just because a lot of us in the office are big Philip Pullman fans. So like, we ran the first extract and all this sort of stuff. And so the publishers got in touch after that and said, oh, well, we've got um, a video of M- Michael Sheen recording the audiobook. Uh, would you like it? And I was like, no. Like, first of all, my reaction I'm not doing your PR. I'm not, I don't want it. And I was like, fine, I'll watch it. And um, it's brilliant. And I think everyone should go watch it. And we actually put it on the website just because it's so interesting to watch it being done. And he's one of those actors that he's not just sort of reading it out in a sort of monotone. He's doing voices and he's doing acting. And I think that's sort of part of the reason why people love Stephen Fry doing uh, the Harry Potter books that, you know, even though his Hermione is a bit ropey, he still does all the book, all the voices. And so uh, Michael Sheen's doing the same thing, but he does it with just such enthusiasm and there's hands waving and it's great. So actually watching the video of someone doing an audiobook turns out to be really interesting. <laughs> um, but we've got a clip of it as well. And um, it's it's sort of, I think it's a, probably a really nice thing over Christmas to, to, to listen to this one, even if you've already read it. They kept perfectly still. Slow footsteps came towards them and they could hear the snuffling, grunting sounds of that creature and the clicking of her claws on the pavement. And then Coram thought, Now! And Sophie sprang directly at where the hyena's head would be, claws out, and the man fired the gas pistol again twice, and one bullet scorched its way across Coram's scalp. But it gave him a fix on where the man was, and he lunged forward and slashed with his stick at the darkness, connecting with something arm, hand, shoulder, and knocking the gun away. Sophie's claws, all of them, were firmly fixed in the hyena's scalp and throat. The demon was shaking her head wildly, trying to dislodge her, and smashing her against the wall and the ground again and again. Coram saw the man's shadow reach down as if to pick up the gun, and he sprang forward to lash down with the stick, but missed and slipped on the wet ground, and fell at the man's feet, rolling away at once and kicking out hard towards where the gun had fallen. So you could say that Philip Pullman's for both adults and older young readers, but um, that something for younger readers is uh, The Lost Words, uh, which is the Robert McFarlane and Jackie Morris book, which is a sort of 
dictionary, really, which uh, every letter in the alphabet is dedicated to a different element of nature or a word that's sort of gone out of use um, that relates to the natural world. And it's trying to encourage children to sort of get interested again in, in things, you know, in the world around them that perhaps they don't know how to identify, you know, they don't know what word this is for that sort of thing. It's interesting that Jackie Morris, who's the illustrator, is credited on the audiobook. Yeah, well, it's a sort of a, a, a sort of a joint thing. And it's been one of those books that's had a real emotional pull for people. So there's been a lot of cases where they've been like crowdfunding things to get the book into all the schools in Scotland, for example, which did happen. Um, I understand that there's another crowdfunding thing to try and get it into lots of hospitals around the country. Um, it's sort of a thing that I think people feel like is like a really good thing. Um, so it's... a uh, been a real success in the print version because uh, Jackie's illustrations are really beautiful so that is something that you do miss out on in terms of the audiobook but the production on this is really great there's sort of all sorts of natural sounds that are woven into it and we have a clip here um, from with Keris Matthews reading a part of uh, one of the uh, letters Adder A hank of rope in the late hot sun A curl of bark A six An eight for adder is as adder basks. Deep in heather, coiled in gorse, sunk among the winter stones. For adder is as adder hides. Darts, diamond slides, sine wave swerves, live wire curves of force. For adder is as adder glides. Echo of snake, self-escape. A left-behind ghost, for adder is as adder sheds. Rustle of grass, sudden susurrus, what the eye misses. For adder is as adder hisses. Isn't that nice? How is that for painting with words? I know. <laughs> sort of like, oh, I get a little bit of a tingle when I listen to that one. And that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid, this week. Thanks so much for listening to this audiobook special. Shah, myself and Richard will all be having a rest for a couple of weeks, but we'll be giving you five little short story treats to settle down with by the fire. On Christmas Eve, Simon Callow reads M.R. James's gloriously chilling Oh, Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad, and it's introduced by Penelope Lively. On Christmas Day, if you need a break from it all, Neil Gaiman introduces Rudyard Kipling's The Gardener, a melancholy tale from 1925, and it's read by the wonderful Marion Bailey, who you might know from Mike Lee's films. On Boxing Day, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie reads No Sweetness Here from the Ghanaian writer Ama Atta Aydu. And on New Year's Eve, Zadie Smith introduces us to what she calls an anti-Italian story from Giuseppe Pontigia called Umberto Butti. And see you in the new year with Sebastian Barry, who's returning to James Joyce's short story Evelyn 40 years after he first read it. Now that smile can be heard. <laughs> short, sounds rather soft on Sebastian Barry, aren't you? Maybe yes. we'll pass over that one. I'm not the marrying type, but I, I would probably marry Sebastian Barry if you asked. <laughs> well, we'll be back on Tuesday the 8th of January with the freshest new books of 2019. So, Sean, what are you going to be reading this Christmas? Oh, yes. Well, I am reading currently, uh, there's a historical Swedish uh, novel called uh, The Wolf and the Watchman, which is due out early next year. 
Um, so I'm currently giving that a go and will be fully committing to it uh, when I leave the office. Uh, how about you? Do you know what I'm going to do? What? I'm going to have a go on Naomi Alderman's zombie run app. Oh, cool. Because I'm going to get very fat over Christmas, I expect. So I think a bit of running around the park pursued yeah. by zombies yeah. might be quite fun. And I'm also really interested in looking at um, gaming and storytelling. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's almost it's almost an audio book, except, you know, you just feel slightly panicked the whole time while you're doing it. It's really good. I need, I've I need a bit of panic, I think. <laughs> Anyway, why not treat us and someone you love by recommending this podcast for some Christmas calm? Thanks so much for listening to everything we've done this year, whether you've just joined us or been with us throughout. Thanks also to our producer, Susanna Tresillian. From me, Claire Armistead. And me, Sean Kane. Goodbye and a very Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas. For more great podcasts from The Guardian... Just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend that I don't right <laughs> Hold now. it in, hold on. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. <laughs> Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. Oof. I remember, what was that? <laughs> say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.